Welcome to episode 81 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I am so glad you are joining me for the conversation. Part 1, Initial Insight. One of the perks of being a business coach is that I get to hear the inside scoop and mindset that goes on around the process of building a successful business, especially as an introvert. There are often recurring themes that come up, no matter what type of business or phase of growth the client is in. You can probably guess what some of those themes are. They're around networking, sales, self-promotion, prospecting, and knowing what to say when we talk about ourselves. One that came up recently is another popular topic, being able to say no to our less than ideal client. It's relatively easy to say no when we're busy and feeling secure. It's not as easy when we are looking at our bottom line and worrying about how we're going to pay the bills. There is no doubt about this. It is a conundrum. It's not fair or realistic to advise someone to never say yes to less than ideal work. But there is something that we can do about it. Let's first acknowledge why we even need to think about it. We just can't say, I need money, this will give me money, so I'll do it. The reason we can't say that is because it's coming from a scarcity mindset, and it makes it all about the money. If we keep saying yes to money that comes in from doing work that's not a good fit for us, which, by the way, means it's not going to be our best work for the client or customer, we can easily fall into a rut and think that, well, that's just the way things are. We can avoid that rut by remembering two points. First, that whenever we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. That something else might not be known to us, but we're allowing the less than to steal space and potential from the ideal, or at least from the better than. The second point to remember is that whenever we say yes to, we're telling the market or the universe what we want more of, we are going to attract more of that less than energy into our business. This might sound woo-woo to some, but I have to say it because it's true. Every yes sends out an energy that will be returned to you. If you say yes to less than, more less thans will find you. If you reserve your yeses for ideal or better than situations, then you will attract more of your ideal. I've seen it play out for me time and time again, and I see it happening consistently for my clients. So what about those times when the rubber hits the road and we really do need to say yes to less than? In those cases, I invite you to say yes with a particular intention. You fully acknowledge that this is a yes for now situation and that you are using the opportunity to serve a higher good, such as food or shelter or being able to have a good night's sleep. It's a short detour, not your main path. You reaffirm your ideal and continue at every opportunity to ask for what you know you're worth. Don't let the less than to become your new normal. Stand firm in your value through thick and thin, and you'll find yourself experiencing more thick than thin. Part 2. Shameless Self-Promotion It's been fun being able to share the various milestones on the journey to publication of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and I'm particularly excited to announce this latest development with you. I may have mentioned before that we sold the audio rights to the book. This is fabulous news for all of you auditory learners. And even more fun for me, I've been asked to be the reader. 
I have to admit, it was really hard for me to imagine someone else narrating the audio version. So I felt both relief and excitement at being offered the opportunity. I'll be recording it over the summer, and it should be released at the same time as the paperback and ebook versions. So stay tuned. I'm sure I'll have more updates about that in the coming podcasts. And on a related note, if you're interested in placing a pre-order of either the paperback or ebook versions, hop onto Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk, search for The Introvert Entrepreneur, and place your order now. Every pre-order helps. It tells Amazon and my publisher that the book is going to do well, and they'll give it more visibility. More visibility means the book will reach more people, which is a win-win for all concerned. Thank you so much for your support in that. Part 3, The Conversation It's not every day I get to talk to the leader of a company that has a growing global presence and is in the midst of a lot of organizational change. So when Pat Wilmot reached out to me about Great Pretenders, I was immediately interested in her story. Pat Wilmot has over 25 years of operations and management experience in industries ranging from entertainment, consulting, oil and gas, and edible goods. She is currently the president and CEO of Great Pretenders, an award-winning children's costume organization. Great Pretenders was started in 1989, and they're an umbrella of creative education, an organization that is committed to promoting child education and development through pretend play. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm really glad you're joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Beth. I'm very glad to be here. Well, what's making you smile today? Well, Beth, I'm looking out my window, and the sun is shining, and the grass is green. And I live in Chicago, so that's uh, a very welcome sight. We've had a very long, cold winter here. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit about your relationship with introversion and extroversion. Um, where do you feel that you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and how has that awareness influenced your career? I'm definitely on the far end toward uh, the introvert spectrum. And I think that age and experience, you start to accept the fact that that's who you are and that you're not going to change yourself. And so you try to figure out how to use what I think are the strengths of, of being sort of on that end of the scale to forward yourself in business and, and make a difference. Yeah. When you think about all the people that you've worked with, you know, we were talking before we got started here about the different entrepreneurs that you've had the pleasure of working with. Do you feel like you've been partnered or found yourself attracted to people that are either similar in your introvert nature or kind of opposite or just different? You know, um, I, I have had the, the pleasure of working with quite a few entrepreneurs, and some were more introverted than others. What I loved about them was their passion and, uh, and their focus uh, for the business that they were trying to start up. So I often think that an introvert is such a good listener that they're able to get a sense of people and understand what would make them comfortable, you know, where they're uncomfortable. Um, because working with an entrepreneur, I find you have to be very, uh, just very careful to understand, you know, what it is that drives them and how important this business is to them. Many entrepreneurs, their business is their firstborn child. So they have a very close relationship. And so I just think, you know, being more introverted, it means I'm, I'm a better listener and I'm a much more observant person to understand what's working, what's not working, and to be able to make those adjustments in the relationship. Well, you are part of a company called Great Pretenders, and I'd love for you just to give us a quick um, snapshot of, 
of what that is. And I know you've been involved in it while you are not the founder, you are close to the founder and have followed the trajectory of this business over several decades. Um, So, you know, share a little bit about what Great Pretenders is and how did it get started out? Well, Great Pretenders is a a super line of children's dress up, children's pretend role play dress up, jewelry, uh, some craft items. um, And uh, the person who started it is very near and dear to my heart. She and I were um, fledgling engineers right out of college in the oil industry, and we both ended up in a refinery uh, together. And at that time, I won't tell you how many years ago, but it was quite a few, there weren't a lot of women engineers, especially in the refinery operations. So she and I kind of gravitated together and worked together quite closely for a few years and really became close friends. She came to a point in her life where she had uh, some young children. She was getting divorced, and she just decided that the corporate lifestyle wasn't going to suit her. So she was trying to figure out what to do and, and, and came across an idea when she was out trying to find a toy for one of her children. And she thought, I just can't find what I'm looking for. And so she said, I'm, I'm going to try to come up with what I'm looking for. And so she developed this puppet that was absolutely adorable, and it was this fabric that yeah, Velcro would stick to, and you could make different, put clothes on, put different faces on it, hats, hair. It was adorable. And she launched that, knowing absolutely nothing about the toy industry, which was hysterical, because she and I would do some trade shows, and we'd be showing people how these puppets worked. But we quickly found out that the puppet market is pretty tiny. So uh, while it was a great toy, she wasn't going to make millions, uh, as she first envisioned, and nor would, uh, you know, Mattel come running and trying to, to buy her business offer. We still laugh about that. But what it did allow her to do is she gained uh, a lot of information, a lot of background in the toy industry, and she used what she learned in making these puppets out of fabric to get into making uh, children's dress-up out of fabric. So she learned a lot about fabric and sewing and trims and... She's quite a creative gal, so she knew a lot about design and color. and uh, So she kind of used that to launch the business into the direction of the dress-up. And then once she had dress-up, she launched into jewelry. It seemed like a nice natural. And, and from there, she's actually just designed a line of craft where you color in your own costume and underwear. Oh, cool. So she's a, a real creative, a creative gal, and that's kind of wh- what she's been doing and I think this is our 28th year in business. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And I love, you know, it's another reinforcement that so much, so often a business is born out of necessity or frustration. Yeah. Like I can't find what I'm looking for. And so I have to create it. Yeah. And, and I love that idea that you went to the trade shows and you had this vision and, and at that time, you know, you were thinking, wow, this could be huge without necessarily knowing that, like you said, you know, a very small market, Um, (laughs) but there's something to be said. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs succeed is that they have that ignorance is bliss a little bit. You know, there's like a boldness that comes from not knowing that what you're doing is close to impossible. I think you're right. I think that's a very good, a very good way to sum it up. It's it's awesome that it evolved as well. I think the other piece is like when you find out that it's near impossible, that you don't give up, that you adapt. Right. And and that's right. like a exactly. great part of that story. Well, speaking of adapting and growing, I read on your website that you're about to expand into Europe. Yes, yes. A huge, exciting thing. I think all of us are aware that we're in a global economy and that through technology and other things, you know, the world has become a very small place. Based on your experiences so far with this process of the expansion, what are some key considerations for entrepreneurs that want to take their products and services global? 
Well, you know, I, I think the most important thing to do is to get educated about the market um, because I think sometimes we think that what works in North America can be easily translated somewhere else. And they actually have different tastes and, and, and things that they'll buy and different price points. For example, in, in our category, you know, pink is very hot in, in North America. It's not a big popular thing in, in Europe. They like more medieval kinds of dress-ups. So we went to lots of trade shows. We went to as many trade shows. We went to, if it was being sold in a retail store, we went to retail stores, and we tried to get as educated as we could. We also needed to understand all the pricing, the regulations, the taxes, the duty, safety requirements, and labeling. And we did get some government assistance, which was wonderful, because there were some programs out there for uh, aiding people who wanted to export. So we did get some government assistance in terms of our research. But I think it's really key to understand the differences. You can't just take your product and plop it in another part of the world and think it will be received exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Great point. Especially here in the United States, we can become very Western culture centric (laughs) and assume that what works here is going to work everywhere and forgetting about those sensibilities that are both huge differences that might totally take us by surprise, as well as some very subtle things such as the pink that might not even occur to you. Right, right. So that piece about research is so vital. It also strikes me that you, because of all of that, that it's probably not going to happen as fast as you think it's going to. No, no. We always, we always have our, we always have wonderful projections, and uh, you know, uh, it's great to have lofty goals, but you also have to have some realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the best advice you've ever heard about doing an expansion like this, or as a company grows? Um, you know, what what have you? taken that's either you know personal or that you've read that seems to be kind of a guiding principle for you well you know our founder tells a story that when she uh went to she she was thinking about her idea and she went to some people that she really uh, valued their opinion who were you know good business people or or had something you know that she thought might be valuable to share with her and she said can you give me some advice and one very successful entrepreneur said to her, I've got three things for you to understand to, to be successful. And he said, persevere, persevere, persevere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she tells the story and we laugh, but, but really that's the truth. You know, you, 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 there's lots of obstacles. There's, there's lots of things that don't work out the way that you think. And you have to navigate your way around. And if you believe in it and you really think that this is something that you have passion for it, you need to persevere. Yeah. Well, and it seems that goes back to the beginning story of how the company was founded, that the perseverance becomes important when you realize that the great angel of Mattel is not going to swoop in and buy everything and you're going to be, you know, a rock star overnight. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Once that little bubble is burst, then it becomes completely about perseverance. Exactly. You have, you know, as we talked about in the beginning, you've had this long-term relationship with the founder and and with other founders, I think, you know, as you said, you've worked with a number of entrepreneurs over your career. What's been your experience with working with a founder? Um, I ask that because, you know, founders are their own animal, you know. They sure are. Their company is their firstborn. They probably feel very connected and attached to it. And, and sometimes, um, you know, bringing other people into that, especially in the beginning, is is a bit challenging for both the founder and the person that is coming on board. So any insights that you've gained or things that you've noticed that would be helpful to someone who maybe finds themselves in that position of working with a founder 
and um, kind of navigating those dynamics. Right. You know, um, I, I, I love working with entrepreneurs. They're very passionate, focused people. And usually they're, you know, there's something about them that just makes work so enjoyable because they just, they just live and breathe this whole thing. Where I think many of them have fallen down in my experience is that they struggle not letting someone else take over some control. So this is their firstborn. This is the the thing that they've you know brought into into the world from infancy, and they struggle handing off parts of that to somebody else to manage. And so they they'll try it and they get uncomfortable and they pull back and they try to have control again. So I think sometimes with entrepreneurs they're their own worst enemy. They don't know how to grow bigger without doing everything themselves. And I think that that's really, you know, the rule that when you go in and work with someone is you want to talk to them and have very direct and honest conversation about, you know, you might be outside your comfort zone sometime, but this is what we're going to do and this is our goal. And, and really, you know, just include them and make ease them into giving you some control. It works better if they know you and trust you. But sometimes it takes a little while to develop that trust. You just have to be patient. Another place for perseverance, it sounds like, too. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Well, and, and maybe it leads into this, but, you know, for you personally, um, over the trajectory of your career, what's some, you know, based on your personal experiences, like some of those times that have been, you know, the darkest that you've come out the other side, what's some of your favorite hard-won wisdom that you love to share? That's a great question, and and uh, you know I was trying to think about about what I what what I've learned. hopefully I've learned something. I think sometimes you know you just have to do your best, and it doesn't things don't always work out. You don't may always make the best decisions. You know your goal is to make more good decisions than bad decisions, but mistakes happen, and it's just so important to learn from them. And if you learn and move on. And honestly, if you've done your best and let yourself off the hook, don't beat yourself up. But as I say, learn from it. Don't just stick your head in the sand and say, it's nothing I did. If you made a mistake and you learn from it, I think that you're going you're gonna to be successful. Yeah. There's so much to be said for giving yourself space to fail, right. persevering <laughs> through all of that. And coming out that other side and learning from it and seeing the stumble as an absolutely necessary part of the journey. And sometimes when you look back, you, you think of uh, things that have happened. And, you know, I do think things happen sometimes for a good reason. And so at the time, you may have been disappointed that this didn't happen or this account didn't pick you up or whatever. But sometimes looking back, you think, you know, if I had picked up that, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. I wouldn't have had the time to develop this new product line. You know, it's, it's, it's always uh, difficult at the time, but sometimes when you look back, it, it was not a bad thing to have happened. Yeah. A great reminder to um, always be keeping the long arc of the work in mind. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks for sharing, you know, your experiences and the wisdom and specifically, you know, what's, what's happening at Great Pretenders and, you know, how you're seeing that unfold. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is maybe one of the first times on the podcast where I've talked with someone that's got a product and is expanding into Europe and whatnot. So I think it's exciting to be able to share this this element with, with listeners. And I, I'm so glad you are willing to bring your expertise to us. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I have a question that I ask all of my guests before I let them escape. Okay. <laughs> 
And that's if you were granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island, mm -hmm. and you could only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? Well, you know, first of all, I'd, I'd try to negotiate more books because <laughs> cause I'm a, I, I love to read books. And, uh, and I've been known to read the same book over and over again if I really loved it. Right now, I would probably take, I'm reading a book called The Language of Flowers. It's a lovely, it's a beautifully written story. I would take that with me because I'd love to finish it. I just read The Hundred Foot Journey by Richard Murray. He's a some beautiful writer. And I'd take a good murder mystery because at the end of the day, I do love sometimes a great murder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as somebody else is doing the murder. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but I love uh, Dick Francis writes a great, great murder story. So does Sue Graft and Elizabeth George. I'd take one of their books. Yeah, my husband is a huge Sue Grafton fan, so we have all of them, and I'm, I think he's probably <laughs> lamenting that she's getting very close to Z at this point. So I know, very depressing. <laughs> yeah. Well, how can people learn more about uh, Great Pretenders and kind of keep up with, with what's going on? Well, we're at the website, greatpretenders.ca. Uh, we're also on Facebook, so it's Great Pretenders on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, uh, and you can find out all about uh, what we're doing, what products we sell, and and uh, all about the company on those on those links. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Pat. It's been a great pleasure chatting with you and, and hearing about your experiences, and I um, appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us. I appreciate talking to you too, Beth, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Part four, final reflection. What did you take away from that conversation? I found myself inspired by the reminder that adapting and persevering are two of the key ingredients to success. It's important that we set goals and educate ourselves, and we also have to be flexible and responsive to changing circumstances. We need to keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other, shifting according to changes in the terrain. It brings to mind a story from one of my favorite personal development books, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, by Susan Jeffers. She recounts a time when she was on a sailboat, and the seas were a bit rough. Rather than trying to stay upright and rigid in her spot, she allowed herself to go with the boat, to ride the waves up and down and sway with the movement. Being a sailor myself, I can completely attest to the benefits of being flexible instead of rigid in those kinds of moments. And as entrepreneurs and leaders, we benefit from riding the wave rather than trying to control it. In closing, I want to share the words of Mary Ann Radmacher, American author and artist. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. If you search the archives of the Introvert Entrepreneur podcast, you'll find my interview with Marianne from April 2013, and she's also featured in my upcoming book. Many thanks to my podcast producer extraordinaire, Paul Messing, and to you for joining me today. If you'd like more information about me and The Introvert Entrepreneur, please visit my website at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. I'll be launching a newly designed website in June, so that's another reason to visit and check us out. And until we meet again, remember, success is an inside job. Mm -hmm.